This is not an apostolic problem. This is not a Baptist problem. It is not a Presbyterian problem. It is a across the board. I have heard situations, I think, from every um, faith and denomination out there. So it's not just geared towards one particular um, denomination or faith. It's just, you know, sadly, it is very well hidden and it is very covered up. Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, an Associate Licensed Counselor and Nationally Board Certified Counselor in the state of Alabama under the supervision of Cotina Stroud. The Real Talk 238 podcast has real conversations concerning taboo topics, which people may find themselves struggling with that may not be discussed, especially in relation to the church. The purpose of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to bring awareness, hope, and encouragement. Having these conversations will shed light on the truth and break the lie of being the only one, being stuck, isolated, and alone because there is someone else who has gone through something similar. Topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. All right, let's get started. Hey everyone, I just wanted to say welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast. Um, This was a unplanned podcast, to be honest with you. I actually had something else planned, but I was a guest on the crucial conversation talking about spiritual abuse. And so I am going to be playing that, that interview here. I will just tell you the things that are said can, can be triggering, especially if you do have a history of spiritual abuse And so I hope this will shed light. This was really a challenging interview for me to do simply because I struggle with vulnerability. And so for me, putting myself out there, especially in the context of what this was, was very challenging. I was frightened. I was afterwards, I was really nauseated. Um, you know, and any time that you are dealing with sensitive topics, sensitive issues concerning spiritual things, the enemy is not happy about it. The devil's not happy. He will try to fight you every which way. But if there is anything I know I am not the only one who's had to, who has struggled with this, who has went through this. There are other people. I mean, just looking at statistics for sexual abuse, you know, that in itself, one out of three to four girls and one out of five to six boys have been sexually abused. 
and nobody's talking about it. Well, let me rephrase that. Not as many people are talking about it. But then you get into other types of abuse, like spiritual abuse. Nobody is hardly talking about it until some big issue hits the news. And sadly, that is the case. So anyways, I hope that if at the very least you find this interview informative, you find it helpful so that you can help other people. And that is the whole purpose of this podcast is to shed light on challenging and difficult conversations that people have gone through that so that maybe somebody else doesn't have to feel so alone. Maybe somebody else can feel encouragement and maybe somebody else will find hope and healing through that process, through the podcast. Anyways, um, I hope you enjoy the podcast and I really do appreciate you listening. If there is anything concerning the podcast, if there is if you have questions or concerns, please send them to therealtalk238 at gmail.com. I will gladly look at those, and if I can answer those, I will. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Have a blessed day. Tonight, we welcome on to the show a fellow podcaster in the big podcasting world, Um, it's kind of easy to have a podcast and just fall by the wayside or jump inside. It's like we're all little tiny fish in this massive ocean. But what I found is when you have great content, people want to listen. And I strongly urge you to go listen to our guest that we are with today on Real Talk 238. Did I get that right, Denise? Yes. Real Talk 238. We welcome on the host of that podcast, Denise Lee. We are honored and privileged to have you on the Crucial Conversation tonight. We've kind of just thrown this uh, timing where we all just found a time randomly in the afternoon to, to record this episode, but we appreciate you taking time to be with us, um, kind of share your story, share your burden with us, and kind of why you developed the podcast. Um, thank you for uh, spending some time with us this evening. Thank you guys for having me. I I really do appreciate it. And um, I know last year, last October, I reached out to you because I was kind of at a loss on the direction to go as far as like the technicalities and um, of, you know, platforms to you. There was so much I didn't even know. So you guys really helped me out a lot on that. And I really do appreciate that. No problem. That's, that's a burden of Brian and I's. We we, we love to podcast because we're reaching uh, a generation that may not ever hear uh, or meet us in person or hear the gospel. You know, we just hope that one day they're just scrolling across like, oh, that's a cool logo for a podcast and click and listen. You never know how you're going to reach people. But thank you for reaching out to us. That, that really means a lot to us and um, makes us feel that, you know, we're, we're doing somewhat of a, of a good job to where people would want to, you know, get our information. <laughs> Right. But let's let let's let's hear your story a little bit. Tell us a little bit about where you come from. Let's let's actually just hear your story. You've got a very intriguing um, topic that we're going to get to tonight. So so don't just jump right in. Take us to how we we're going to get to where we're going tonight. 
Right. Um, well, first of all, let me just say I am a, an associate licensed therapist licensed in the state of Alabama. And so uh, for me personally, I have worked in the area of trauma. That's what I specialize in even long before I ever became a therapist. That was in I've been working with um, people with extensive trauma since 2010. And so after I became a, I became licensed, I would wonder, God, how can I use this? Because I, anything I do, I've always wanted to give God glory for it because he's the one that puts the desires in our hearts and he's the one that gives us the drive to do the things we do. And a few years ago, I heard this um, statement and at first it just really was, um, I had to chew on it for a while. And the, the statement was this, God has prepared you for what he has already prepared you for. And I thought, my goodness. And um, so leading up to going through undergrad and then graduate school, um, God would direct my attention, particularly to, and I have such a heart and a burden for those in ministry. And a lot of it is because I understood that area. My husband's a minister. And so we have served in different avenues of ministry. And so what God was really pointing out to me was why are people, well-known people in the in the oneness, um, in the oneness faith walking away. And I'm talking, you know, well-known preachers and, uh, musicians. And it's like, the question was always why. And, and the only thing I could come down to was it's because they were hurting. And I, you know, I thought, well, how can this be fixed? But what God was also doing he was getting my attention on things that I needed to work on and to heal because I had my own stuff of uh, hurts that happened in ministry and that was painful. And so obviously the hurts didn't start in ministry. They happened way back a long time ago. And, um, you know, today actually... God's been dealing with me on this for a while because it's very, it's a very personal and sensitive topic for me. And, um, when you deal with stuff like this, it's, you never quite know how people are going to take it. Some people don't even know what it is. They really question it. Um, the other thing is you don't ever hear this talked about, well, this happens in a church. You know, this stuff isn't supposed to happen in a church. And um, so it was, you know, it was really a hard thing because I was always taught that you, you know, you show respect, you obey them that have the rule over you, which is scripture. You know, we're told that in Hebrews 13, chapter 13 and verse 17, you know, to obey them that have the rule over you, meaning our pastors. And uh, our leadership. And, you know, even over in 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, Samuel told Saul when Saul got out of alignment, you know, he says, Do we have, does the Lord have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
And he's, he went on to tell Saul, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And, you know, I was, and then I would think about David when David was under Saul. You know, David had two opportunities to kill Saul. But because Saul was God's anointed, even if Saul wasn't living right, he was still God's anointed. And, you know, the one time David cut off his skirt and David repented over that. And then the other time over in the hill of Hakalah, I think I pronounced that right. But David took the spear instead, didn't do anything but made Saul aware of, of, um, of what David had done. Hey, I took your spear. Your captain of the host didn't even protect you. And so those things would stick out in my mind. And, you know, I, I just want to clearly say this. Not every pastor out there is a horrible pastor. Not just like any other uh, occupation or profession. There are good doctors and there are bad doctors. There are good lawyers and there are bad lawyers. And there are, you know, good mechanics, bad mechanics. The list could go on. I'm a therapist. There are good therapists. And trust me, there are bad therapists. So it's, you know, it's in any field. And unfortunately, in some of these areas, because of the position of authority, it's not always called out. And I'll just clearly say this. I'm not here to call out names, church locations, none of that, because that doesn't matter. It's not important. But the important matter is how do you go from getting pulled into that to where you can find a place of healing? And I hope that makes sense. Um, but my, where my story started at, it wasn't so much in the, in the church. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. My story started way back when it came to spiritual abuse with my mother. And you have to understand, you know, some people may ask, well, how in the world couldn't you've just walked away from that? It wasn't that easy because when you're raised in an environment where you're basically groomed to be obedient no matter what, to be loyal no matter what, to just follow. By the time you get to um, an adult, your primary person that has been abusive, no matter if it's spiritual, physical, psychological, sexual, whatever the case, they don't have to even physically do anything. They can just say the word and you're automatically going to follow suit because they already have groomed you from the time of being very little all the way to being a grown person. And so with my mother, um, you know, I was, I had um, talked to my brother. I actually had texted him earlier and I asked him, hey, are you okay with me sharing this story? And, you know, this is just the way when it comes, first, let me say what spiritual abuse is, because a lot of people don't know what it is. Um, you know, spiritual abuse, it's a set of beliefs that someone uses in order to manipulate an individual into agreeing or complying to those beliefs. It's twisting scriptures in order to manipulate and or gain control of an individual. Um, this person 
will use tactics such as humiliation and validation, demeaning someone who, when they don't agree with certain spiritual aspects, intimidating people or others to be submissive to religious authority without any question or disagreeing to the person's authority, falsely accusing others or labeling them as having no faith in God, being disobedient, being an enemy of one's church, or trying to make others fall away from the church, um, being accused of being possessed or having a devil, forbidding individuals from having any association with friends or family members because they are perceived as a threat, sharing information with only certain privileged people, expecting others to conform to dangerous religious practices, um, shunning, persecuting, and or excommunicating individuals, and expecting, encouraging, or forcing others that are still in that group to do the same by spreading rumors, threats, and other lies, uh, refusing medical or psychological treatment by claiming God will heal. And I'm not saying that God won't heal because he will, but there's, you know, there's a proper way to go about it. And then seducing someone or sexually abusing someone with claims that God is wanting this done may also occur. These are all aspects of spiritual abuse. So obviously it's a lot of layers. Um, all of these things may not always occur. You know, it may, um, it may happen a few things. So going back to my mother, um, at a very young age, she would start conditioning us to be ultimately loyal, to never question authority. She would take scripture out of context and to manipulate the situation. And one example of that, my, um, my brother, when he was, my brother was born out of wedlock and my mother took the context of scripture where, uh, about being stoned because I think my brother, he was eight or nine and he was just being ornery. He was being a little boy. And my mother said, if we were in the Bible days, um, they would have stoned you. And my brother, um, you know, he, he, because all this stuff had been so, uh, compressed on him, just like it was on myself, he turned around and he told her, he says, well, you would have been stoned before they ever got to me. And of course he got in huge trouble and this was just the type of things. And so going all throughout life, you know, in his case and in mine as well, Scripture was always used and was always twisted. And so when you go from very little child, you get up into your adult years, then what happens is you start going into church. Now, um, I went to church. I went to Oneness Church as a, as a young child, but I didn't understand all the aspects of it. You know, when you're eight years old, you you don't understand everything, especially when you live in such a chaotic and toxic environment. And so it wasn't until I got much older, I was 17. I did actually didn't want anything to do with the oneness church because, um, when I thought of the oneness church, it was everything that my mother was that I knew of. 
but there was a place in my life that I prayed and asked God, um, cause I was really questioning at that point, even if God existed. And so this one day I was praying and I said, God, if you're really real, if you're really true, then put me in the type of church I went to when I was little. And it wasn't, I don't think it was too long, maybe a year, but um, we lived in California at that time. And we went to um, a church and I, some people from my cousin's church started coming into the grocery store where I worked. And of course the women, you can always recognize the women because of their dress. But I started building a friendship. And of course, uh, the young woman would invite me to church. And I was like, I don't want nothing to do with your church. I know how you believe. Or at least I knew based on what my mother's representation of it was. And needless to say, um, she wouldn't leave me alone. I said, fine, I'll go. Make sure my cousin is there. And if she's there, I'll go, but don't ever ask me again. And I went that one time. I've never turned back. I have continued, you know, it's been a long journey, but I continued. And and God with me, he would always gently approach things to teach me things in the word of God, like about baptism, um, about the oneness you know, I didn't understand it when I was little because I had my mother's view. So I had always asked God, please show me, teach me because I don't understand this. And so fast forward, um, we moved from California, ended up in the Midwest. And, um, and that is where like I learned about Jesus name baptism and, and, um, you know, God just kept, kept, teaching me and guiding me. And, um, there is a, there was one period. Now remember what I said, when you've been taught and groomed to be very loyal, it's very easy to fall in those path in those situations. Uh, you know, if you're not careful. And so, that happened not once, but on a, two different occasions. And, um, and I'm not going to go into the middle one, but the, the last one was, um, me and my husband, we, we had moved to a state, um, and there was a new pastor voted in. Um, I'm not going to name that pastor. It doesn't really matter. But the what I did not know at that time was the type of person he was. And so my husband got licensed under this particular pastor. And as time went on, in the beginning, it was great. You know, it was everything was good. But this particular pastor found out that I had a connection with the first situation and that first situation wasn't good. And, um, he had gotten hurt at one point by that first situation or the people involved in that first situation. And so even though I didn't know the two later on, he, um, when he found out there was a past connection, it got real ugly and 
And so then the table started turning and, uh, and then our ministry, you know, at one point was slowly building and growing. But then when he found out who the connection was, it was like the rug started ripping out. And so he started setting us up, uh, for failure, but God had his hand in it. Like he, you know, there was ethical things that weren't followed. Um, like going to apply my husband applying for his license. The pastor told me call the superintendent. Well, I didn't, I just following orders and that's exactly what I did. And that superintendent was like, why isn't your pastor calling me? I don't know, sir. He just told me to do it. And then there was other situations where the pastor would, um, would pull my husband to the side and give him a book to read and told him I had a Jezebel spirit. And, um, and my husband came home. He never told me what he said. And God spoke to me and told me what that pastor said. And I looked at my husband and I said, he's saying this about me, isn't he? And he was very slow to respond. And he said, yes. And, and it just kept building one thing after another. Um, uh, and there was one point and I kept telling my husband, he is out to get me. And I know it sounds like paranoia, but when all this stuff is, you know, happening, just these little things, um, one right after the other, he would put people up to, uh, claiming that I was doing stuff when I wasn't doing stuff. Um, I played the piano at the time for the church and, uh, there was another person that played the piano, but they were always late. So when it was their turn, I would just go ahead and play. And, you know, he would make statements like I was being the piano hog. And I wasn't. I was just filling in where needed to be filled in. Um, and this one, this one period of time. I, yeah. I've got a question real quick. Sure. So is... Uh, is the best way to to avoid a lot of these situations where we find ourselves, um, you know, feeling like we're being spiritually attacked? What is the best way to, you know, get out of that situation? Because, you, like you said, you you prayed, uh, you know, that God would send you to, uh, you know, a certain kind of church, and it took almost a year. Would it be, you know, asking more questions or? What would be the best way to find yourself out of a situation like that? Well, in our case, we couldn't, I mean, definitely pray, definitely fast, um, reach out to people that, you know, pray because, oh my goodness, it, it is the, the amount of pressure you feel and, um, you know, you just, you you definitely don't feel like you can go to your pastor because that's not a safe situation. Um, you know, there was, there was, um, you know, I pray, I can only tell you what I did and which was, we did, we prayed and I would ask God, please release us from here because of course my husband is licensed 
And when you're licensed, you can't just up and leave the congregation you're in. Um, you can't just walk away because there's all this ethical stuff. And we handled it the best way we could. Well, God had different plans. He ended up, and we knew this was coming, he got laid off from his job. And he was not finding a job anywhere. Um, I was working for a retail store at the time, not making a lot of money because if you work retail, you don't get a lot of hours. And so God started directing our attention to where we, to the state we live in now, to Alabama. We heard there was jobs there and, and, uh, so we kept praying and, and, uh, it, the opportunity opened up where we, we got to come and look around and, uh, that weekend, not only did we, God provide us a, a, a place to stay, but he got a job and it was just, it was mind blowing because it happened so fast. Um, but you know, when things like that happen, it's, you're, you're going to get repercussions. I, you know, I'll tell you that right now. Um, when you have somebody that's looking to destroy your ministry, uh, every aspect of it, there is going to be repercussions because we ended up, um, he, he turned my husband into the board. He filed a complaint all over keys because keys weren't turned in right. And I told my husband, I said, he's not after you. He's, he's after me, but he's the only way he can get to me is through you. And so we went to the board and he was telling everybody, you know, I'm going to get his license. Well, thankfully the board was, you know, they, they were men who prayed. They were men who sought God because, um, it was very obvious at the board meeting that, that every testimony of my husband was a good report. He was a hard worker. He did all sorts of stuff for the church, but then it came to me. It was a whole different story. You know, I was, I was a unsubmissive wife. I was blah, 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 all this stuff. And, um, needless to say, we got put on probation. My husband got put on probation. We had to be under a pastor of the organization we belonged in and, um, uh, in Alabama, but yeah, we had to, you know, we had to still do some things with this other state and we followed all that. We followed everything. And, um, even after we left <laughs> this, this particular pastor was still causing, you know, havoc behind the scenes. And, um, and so we, so we kept praying and the church where we was at, you know, eventually, because I don't know if that particular pastor had heard so much, he, you know, it was too much. I have no idea, but God also gave us heads up. He says, you're not going to stay at this church. And so needless to say, eventually we were asked to leave, which we were fine with. And so we ended up at where we were going to church now, where we've been all this time. And it's been the best thing. And so 
So, and I will tell you the healing part of it hasn't been easy. And I think this is why God really showed this to me about healing because I got very suicidal. Um, I, I know when we was in that other state, I was, I was at the place of making plans because I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take, um, the ministerial hurts that was coming and, um, it was just, it was so much. And then we, we got to this state and, you know, there was still stuff happening. Like it was just so, if you weren't looking for it, if you didn't know what you were seeing, you would have missed it. But, um, but just the, the, it was like trying to stir up strife. I don't know how else to explain it, but, um, but at that point, I didn't trust a single pastor. And mind you, my pastor, I've got a great pastor. Um, we, uh, so we started going to the church where we're at now. And we've been there since, uh, I believe, 2010. And, and it, the following Father's Day... I'll never forget this. I was just extremely depressed, extremely suicidal. And I ended up, I had to be put in ICU because I just couldn't take all the hurt from the, it just pure spiritual abuse is what it was. And, um, my husband, we didn't tell anybody because we didn't trust anybody. In fact, when we started going to the church where we're at now, we would purposely come in late and we would purposely leave early just so we would not have to socialize because we did not want to be accused of anything because we'd done been down that path. And um, so I remember I was in ICU um, and my husband called the man who teaches Bible studies and just said, please pray for my wife. She's in the hospital. And we never thought any more of it. Well, it, I think the very next day, here comes my pastor through the door. And um, I remember, I remember I was, I thought, oh my word, what's he doing here? But obviously he was doing there, he was there to check up on me. And um, I remember telling him, and I had big alligator tears running down my face. And I looked at him, I said, Brother Sutton, I just want to heal from this because if I don't heal God, if God doesn't heal me from this, I'm going to be eat up with bitterness. And, um, and I didn't know how else to say it. And, and for the first four years, I didn't even refer to him as my pastor. I would always say, well, that's the pastor where I go to church. And it took four years of um slowly building trust we would observe a lot like you know we would observe like how does him and his family treat people how do they interact with people you know does he sit there and beat up on not literally beat up but you know rake people you know uh accuse people from the pulpit does he do any of this stuff and he never did any of that stuff um did he ever have to 
give correction? Yes, he did. And we got to observe all that. We got to observe how he handled things as a pastor. And one day he, um, he had went to a conference out in California. My, my cousin went to church there and she, she texted me or called me. I can't remember which. And she says, Denise, I wish you could have been there. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, or she, she had told me, she said, your pastor, he had nothing but good things to say about you. And I remember just crying. I mean, still very emotional because that was the first time that, um, to think that, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't being run down by a pastor, but my pastor, he's been supportive even when I don't know what he's saying, he's still supported because it does get back. Um, and so, so, um, you know, the, my podcast is called the taboo or the real talk to 38. And it's primarily about the taboo topics, just like spiritual abuse and that we don't talk about in church. And, uh, part of my journey, because I didn't trust um, I didn't trust my pastor at the time. I actually sought out a therapist and because I just was so wounded, but I knew I couldn't stay like I was. And so I really prayed, God, please send me to the right therapist. I don't want anybody that has weird ideas. And so I found somebody and one day God spoke to me and says, I want you to talk about the church hurts. And I was like, uh, no, I'm not doing that, you know, and you know, we, we can't, you know, God's going, he's, we can't argue with God. I'll just put it that way. Um, and I, but I did, I told God, no, I, I'm not going there. That is a taboo topic. And you know that, and, and he, he, again, I want you to talk about the church hurts. And I said, all right, then. If you want me to talk about it, then you let the therapist bring it up because I'm not about to. And so I went for the, I went for the next session and the very first thing she asked me, she says, so didn't you say your husband is a minister? And I was like, wait, what? And I, I wouldn't even answer that question. I said, um, before I answer that, tell me about your, your, your background, your spiritual background, your faith. And she says to me, she says, well, I grew up in a Pentecostal preacher's home and I know about the Holy Ghost. And if you don't think that's not humbling, um, God knows right where you're at and he'll use anybody. He will absolutely use anybody to help you heal. And so it's definitely been a journey. And so, um, so I decided that, um, and God laid it on my heart that one, uh, you know, one of the things we're not talking about is those taboo topics. And, you know, and I appreciate you guys because you talk about those difficult conversations and that are so needed. Well, I certainly think this is a very needed conversation when you talk about um, 
the because it's very uncomfortable to talk about how people can be abused in churches by spiritual authority. So uh, I'm I'm curious, how do you walk that fine tightrope of being submissive and listening to leadership, but at the same time not putting yourself in a position where you can be manipulated? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, it is. It's it's a very fine line and. I remember when we first started coming coming here to church, I was walking with a, there was another um, lady in the church and me and her would walk, you know, and I was slowly building those friendships and that you so do need in church. And um, one of the things she told me, she said, because I, at that point, I hadn't, Either I had, I think I had started school to become a therapist. So I was in my undergrad and, um, and so she said, I hadn't even told him, uh, and she said, well, you need to, you need to tell brother Sutton about that. Well, immediately my feet are, you know, I'm putting my heels in the, in the dirt, like, uh, no, you know, not trying to be disobedient, but because of, I'm very cautious and very, you know, careful. And so I did not know, you know, I did not know what he would do or say. Um, and so I talked it over and this is the main thing, especially if you're married, talk it over with your spouse first and foremost, you know, get in alignment with your spouse because you're a team, you know, God puts you together, you're a team. And so one of the things I would do, and I still do to this day, I will go to my husband and I say, hey, this is what I was thinking about. Because I really trust and rely on, you know, what what he has to say. You know, he's my head and I value what he has to say. And um, so when it, so I'll never forget I went to him, I said, so-and-so says I need to tell him about me going to school to be uh, a therapist. I said, what do you think? He says, I don't know, because you know how that's gone. And um, and so so it came, I think it, one night at service, it was a night service, I told him, I said, all right, I'm going to tell Brother Sutton, but you've got to come with me. And I was scared. I was so, so scared. And, um, so I made him go up there with me and I said, um, brother Sutton, I need to tell you something. I felt like this little kid, like, you know, going up to their dad or something, you know, just that image in my head. And I said, I'm, I'm going to school to be a therapist. And his very words were, praise God, we need more apostolic therapists. And I was like, and it was like this big sigh of relief because I knew he had my back. And, um, and that's the other thing as you maneuver through and you, you know, you're finding that fine line. Um, you know, it's difficult, especially when there's no trust. And one of the things we did do in the very beginning, when we came, when we started church here, we went to him and we said, Hey, we came out of a very bad situation. So, you know, my first thing, of course, talk to your husband or, or your wife, communicate with them. But when you go to find 
a new church, um, go to that pastor and say, look, we have been through this situation. This was our experience. And I'm not saying you have to go into a lot of detail, but definitely because, because that pastor is going to know exactly how to pray for you. Um, my pastor, he told us later, this was four years later, because mind you, I didn't refer to him for the first four years that this was my pastor instead. So I wouldn't go to him for anything, but, uh, four years had passed and we, we took him out to eat or we attempted to take him out to eat, but that, um, anyways, we were at the restaurant and he told us then he said, he said, I knew it was going to take a long time because there was no trust. And it has, and, um, you know, it's been a very slow process. And uh, because of the hurt, we, we very much backed away um, from anything to do with ministry because it was so challenging. And so I'll never forget. And, you know, when God has called you into ministry, that never leaves. It stays with you forever. And in 2017, I was asked to speak on forgiveness. And um, uh, and so I, I had a respiratory infection and um, it was at my church. And I wanted to do whatever I could because that thing of ministry, you know, wanting to be involved was really starting to um, churn. It doesn't go away. And so here I am, got a respiratory infection and I went to help with the, the setup and, um, I'm bagging bags, but I went up to the room that I was going to be speaking in and I just started crying here. I'm on all hands on all four sweeping this floor because I couldn't find a, a mop. So I was hand, hand cleaning the floor and just the tears rolled down my face because I missed it so much. It doesn't leave you at all. And um, and the assistant pastor, he came in and I just, I finally started talking a little more. And so it was finding those safe people that you're able to surround yourself with to start sharing your story so you could heal. Doesn't mean you have to completely unload everything. But it's those little things. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it means finding a therapist to help you walk through, through that, you know, through those, um, through that mess. And I can't tell you how many times I get, uh, I've had people reach out to me. They do not want to go to their pastor because, because of her, or they do not want to go to, um, a therapist that's of the same faith of as them because they've been hurt. They don't know what they're going to be told. And, you know, find somebody that you can connect with because really, I think for myself, that's probably what helped me get through it. So when you're in that process of healing, uh, well, actually, you know what, let, let me back it up. Let me ask this. So, because we have such a diverse audience, we have uh, people in there that have been uh, 
saints that have been abused and there's been ministers and, and, and since we have a, a lot of ministers out there that are, that may be listening to this, um, in your opinion, what do you think a minister can do? What all, what are some practical things you think they can do to build trust with an individual that has been hurt? Um, well, can I back up one before I answer that? Cause you also asked me another thing and it, and it just, it, I remembered something else I had done. Um, the other thing is to help you get through the process is to start praying for that pastor. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's not easy when God started dealing with me. Hey, don't you think you need to forgive him? And I was like, and I was very upfront with God. My God, I can't stand the man. I, I'm angry with him. Um, and I don't know how to forgive him, but you're going to have to help me forgive him. Cause I don't have, I don't think it's anywhere in me. And you know, the Bible is very clear that we, you know, we have to forgive. And so at that time I was driving, um, I was going to school. It was a 40 mile drive one way. So on the interstate, that was my prayer time. And in the beginning, those were very dry. Uh, I won't say unemotional because it was a lot of anger. And I, I didn't know, but eventually somewhere in there, my prayers shifted because I began to think it's not so much about that pastor. My mind went beyond the pastor because he has this congregation. And if he falls, it's going to affect his entire congregation. And so I was really, it's like my, my mind, the focus of it shifted and I really started praying. And one day I knew I really had a breakthrough and I was traveling, going down the road, praying for this person. And that is how I knew that I've like, I won't say arrived, but it was definitely a victory, you know, um, and the other thing is when you've been hurt, when you've been abused, whether, you know, spiritually in ministry, you do not have to go back and um, you do not have to go back and tell that person you forgive them because a lot of times that can cause more damage, you know, especially if the person is, has a, and I'm putting this very lightly, a very self-centered narcissistic view of themselves and the world around them, they won't have a clue they did anything wrong and they'll still view that you were in the wrong. So the main thing is for, you know, find forgiveness for them. One, it will really, it will free you up from a lot of different things. Um, and I'm sorry, I forgot the other question. I had asked about uh, some advice that you could, you could would say uh, that as a person that has been affected by this and having seen a minister be able to build trust, what can ministers do out there to build trust? What are some things they can be looking for to actively build trust in the congregation? Talk, talk to, talk to that person in your church, not, not like pressure them. But let that trust slowly build because it will. It's going to take time. 
um, to build those relationships. And sometimes it may mean that the person is coming in late or leaving early. It may mean that they seem kind of standoffish, but they're not really trying to be standoffish. They're trying to figure out, okay, what are these people about? And who is safe in here? Who can I trust in here? Because at this point, all the trust is gone. And eventually those relationships will build. I would definitely say encourage fellowship. Um, I know where I'm at. I think the best thing that ever happened was I had a love for coffee. And so in so doing, I remember this one day, a friend of mine, um, we, I don't know how long we'd been there, um, but it was one of the first early ladies conferences they had. And my friend was speaking and I was so touched by her story. I got brave enough. I said, Hey, would you like to go to coffee? And to my surprise and utter amazement, she said yes. And that was the start of building those friendships. I can't tell you how much that is needed because when you have somebody come into your church who's come out of a really horrific situation, um, they need that, they really need that um, fellowship. They need that encouragement. They are going to need a whole lot of prayer. Um, I can't tell you how many times I'd go to the altar, not because I thought I was sinning or anything like that, but because I was hurting and I just wanted to heal. And it took time. I did, my, my goodness, I didn't arrive there immediately. So you're talking at that point, um, I guess 40 years worth of, mind you, going back to my mother 40 years of spiritual abuse that had to, the clutter and the mess and the junk had to be cleaned out. And it is a process. It takes time. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people uh, that come out of those situations, if they finally find safe people, they're going to start talking about it. Allow them to talk because if they can talk about it, it's like cleaning out the poison. They're, you know, they're able to get it out. Um, oftentimes I've had clients tell me that they've word vomited on me and I'm like, look, you, you were getting it out. And that's what it boils down to letting, allowing them to be able to just, uh, allow air to get in there. So those hurts can heal. Uh, I want to ask you a question, um, regarding parenthood or leadership um, because you were hurt by both, you know, people that were an authoritative figure in your life. Can you talk uh, for the next couple of minutes about the importance of the words that we use to those who are under our authority or leadership? Oh my word. It's yeah, extremely huge. Um, uh, one of the things that I do and maybe it's, I'm just different and I, I do this in my own practice and that is when I have a client come to me because something I've noticed about therapists, you know, colleagues, what have you, some of them have an error about them, not that they're trying to be stuck up, but they follow this, um, theory or this line of teaching that they disclose hardly nothing about themselves. And 
So one of the things I, I observed and learned in school was the professors I learned from the most was the ones who actually disclosed a little bit of their life. And, um, and so, uh, I don't even know what your question is. I forgot. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I just want to talk, I want you to talk about the importance that leaders and people oh, with a, an authoritative figure. Yes. Yes. What, their words. How important is the, the words that we use and the words that we speak? Huge. I mean, it's so huge. And I know why I was going that direction because I, I openly tell my clients, you know, if you have questions, please ask. Um, sometimes when somebody is having a difficult time uh, talking about their hurt, you know, I don't go into great detail. I, it's just enough to let them know, you know, I disclose just a little bit of information about myself. And it's amazing how much that helps build that that relationship and so as far as like parents and and leadership you know um i've been i've been under a pastor who at one point um his philosophy was if they know how much sugar you put in your coffee in your coffee they know too much and that is totally not the right approach especially when you're dealing with people that have been wounded and have been hurt. Um, you know, so a lot of affirmation, you know, there's nothing wrong with telling somebody, Hey, you know, I appreciate when, when you are there for service, I appreciate when as a parent, you know, I appreciate when you help take out the trash. I appreciate how caring you are to other people. You know, it's just those little things that, and it helps build value and it helps build worth in that person's life. And it will actually help, especially in the position of leadership, it will actually help repair some of the damage that was already done. Absolutely. And I think that we need to, uh, especially as me as a parent, uh, last night, my daughter did something that was kind of uh, kind of comical in a sense, but and it really got me to thinking. She was acting like she was a teacher in our living room, and my wife was sitting on the couch. I was sitting in my recliner. We were both exhausted. It was a day filled of travel, and we were kind of ready to go to bed. At, it was about 8 o'clock at night, and but we were ready to go to bed. We were exhausted, and we wasn't giving our my daughter, Olivia, the full attention that she was wanting, she was begging for. <laughs> and, you know, I was looking at my phone. My wife was kind of just staring off into space. And my daughter said, hey, look at me. And then she grabbed my phone and she put it on the mantle. And, you know, that really was comical at the time because she said she was throwing it in the trash. But it got me to thinking, even today when I was at work, you know, the, the things that we do and the things that we speak, are, um, you know, they affect everyone around us, whether we understand to what level or not, we may not ever know. But for my daughter at such a young age to realize that, um, you know, I wasn't giving her that attention, it just, it almost broke my heart. And I want to be sure that 
the words that I speak and the actions that I produce always shows her that she could always come to me, that I'm always there for her. I will pay attention to her. And, you know, and sadly, that's not always been the case. And that's something that I need to work on. And so I'm sure as you've already heard today from Sister Denise that we do need to be more aware of the other people in our lives that we are with, that you may be an authoritative figure over because we don't know the trauma that they have already been in encountered to, um, you know, Brian and I at our church, um, we pick up a lot of troubled children for our Sunday school department. We don't know their life story. We don't know the places that they've come from. We don't understand any of that. So the, the, the words that we speak can be the only words of love or affirmation that they get for that week. So, I mean, I, I beg you, including myself, let's start being more aware of ourselves. Um, you know, we have to um, be self-conscious and self-aware of the things that we do and the things we say, because we don't understand what those people have been through. And I'm sure that you've encountered that in your profession, Sister Denise, am, am I right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And the other thing too, and I just thought about this, um, you know, another thing that is not very helpful, but, you know, people in church are pretty notorious from, for this, not everybody, obviously. But, you know, somebody goes to the altar, particularly those who are, you know, trying seeking the Holy Ghost. You've got one person on one side of you saying, uh, what did they say? Let go. And what's the other person saying? Hang on. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to situations, when you have somebody and, and, you know, we live in a day and age, we don't live in the Pollyanna period anymore, which I don't know if there was such a thing, but um, we live in a day and age, especially as, as the time goes on and, as we get to more towards deeper in the end time stuff, and of course, revival is going to break out in the church, what have you, you're going to have people coming in wounded. You're going to have people coming in that have trauma. Um, they have histories and they may be tatted up from one side down to the next. And uh, here's the thing you, um, when they're sharing their story, don't sit there and tell them to just let it go because basically what you've just said, I'm not interested. Your story is not important to me. And so the better, the better phrase to say, and I have learned this and it's been so powerful is, you know, if you don't understand, it's okay to admit that, but you know, you can say, you know what, I can't imagine what that must have been like for you to go through that. Thank you so much for trusting me enough to share your story with me. And I will tell you, you have no idea how, how impacting and powerful and validating is for that person. That is very, very true. Um, I do want to apologize for our listeners for a second. I didn't realize that I was... <laughs> that I was uh, unmuted and uh, I was I'm ha actually having to prepare dinner as I'm listening in to the podcast. Tony was texting, dude, mute your mic. So 
if if I said anything there that gave away some personal information, I apologize. I don't know. Completely understand. unprofessional rookie mistake, Brian. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. But I do what I, in case anybody's like, what that sounds like macaroni, and it's because it's it is. And uh, so hopefully, <laughs> you know, we've talked about a very heavy subject. So hopefully, my my uh, mistake there can bring a little bit of some levity to you because this has been a very serious conversation, a very serious topic, and we've seen. Um, you know, like a spiritual abuse, we've seen, you know, that's one of the most talked about things recently because of, um, there was this uh, Christian apologist, Ravi Zacharias, who recently his, uh, his legacy was, uh, kind of ended, uh, his ministry was ended in case anybody doesn't know who he is, you know, he was a, uh, an apologist and he, you know, would argue with people, uh, about how, the, the belief that there is a God, but um, while he was traveling the world, uh, he was paying masseuses to have sex with him. And he was telling them that um, his reward for defending the truth of God was this woman, whoever it is that he was encountering that night and that she was his reward. And, and, you know, abuse like that is traumatizing and it should give us all pause because uh, it, it happens in every denomination. It happens everywhere, and it shouldn't happen to us. It shouldn't happen among us. Right. And, and and I think it's important that we are aware that um, just because you have authority doesn't mean you have total control. Right. And and at the same time, though, that in all of this, I mean, it's kind of woken us up uh, again, or not woken us up necessarily, but. Uh, the, the denominal world has been kind of shocked by this event. And it's one of the things that a lot of people are talking about of, you know, make sure it doesn't happen again. And also reaching out to people that have been victimized because it's far more likely you go to church with someone that's victimized rather than a person that's a perpetrator, or hopefully that's the case. Um, and so they're, they're your brothers, you're, they're your sisters and, and it's your saints. In fact, it may even be your pastor because some pastors have suffered spiritual abuse and it happens to all people. And, and I think that having a ministry like Sister Denise Lee's, where she talks to people that have gone through abuse and trauma, I think it's so valuable. And I agree with her 100%. I think, um, in my unprofessional opinion, that a, a therapist is important to some people and being able to talk through some of our problems and being able to find ways to obtain a healing. Right. And, and something else you said that's really important, and I just want to uh, emphasize this, this is not an apostolic problem. This is not a Baptist problem. It is not a Presbyterian problem. It is a across the board. I have heard situations, I think, from every um, faith and denomination out there. So it's not just geared towards one particular um, denomination or faith. It's just, you know, sadly it is very well hidden and it is very covered up. And I'm just going to, you know, if you are in a position of authority and leadership and you are noticing this stuff going on with your fellow, um, with your fellow pastor, with, uh, you know, a, a fellow, uh, minister in the church, Pull them to the side, talk to them because, you know, this, this is the bottom line. If somebody is the one who is 
if somebody is the one that is doling out the spiritual abuse, okay, there's something much deeper going on there. And it, it goes further back than them in that position of authority. You know, um, it, it's something deeper that they have not dealt with. And sometimes, you know, and I've, I've come to this realization too. Sometimes we get in, we get in positions, not because God wants us to be abused. He doesn't want that. But sometimes we get into places where God can start drawing that stuff out. And, you know, in, in my case, when I look back at it, that particular pastor had a previous wound. And sadly, I was the reminder of that previous wound. And so when it came up, it got real ugly and nasty. And so if you are a, a pastor, a minister, and you're seeing your brother or your sister, if she's in leadership, doing these very things to people in their church, go to them, talk to them, say, hey, you know, I'm concerned because maybe they're not even aware they're doing it. You know, as parents, sometimes we we make mistakes and we're we're not aware, just like you didn't notice about your little girl and she was wanting your attention, but she got your attention. You know, sometimes we're just not aware. And so God will use situations and people to bring that awareness. But if we're not receptive of it, you know, it will just get uglier as time goes on. Absolutely. It wounds can fester and, and infect, and then it's even worse. Uh, so, uh, again, I, I want to thank you, first of all, uh, for taking the time to speak to us on a Monday night. Mondays are can be very chaotic. And so I appreciate that. And of course, I appreciate what you do. Um, I would like to ask you here um, to, again, in case anybody has, as the conversation gotten on or they've skipped kind of into the middle, um, plug again, how do they get access to some of your resources? Um, they can actually go to my website. It's liferecoverycounseling.com. If they go into, there's a button that shows um, issues. There is a whole list of different things, particularly when you're talking about spiritual abuse, they'll go to the trauma tab, go over to the abuse, and then it breaks down three different types of abuse. And right at the top is spiritual abuse. And, and there's all that information. Um, they can also email me at, um, they can email me two places. One is info at liferecoverycounseling.com. The other is through the podcast, which is therealtalk238 at gmail.com. Either one of those, they can reach out to me. That's some, been some powerful stuff tonight, Brian. You know, I really hope that uh, our listeners could soak in, you know, all these words of wisdom. I, I'm assuming you're not going to charge our listeners, Denise, for <laughs> your your expertise tonight. But one thing that I do hope is that we, as, as a body of Christ, number one, we be kinder to one another. Number two, we try to understand one another. And number three, we listen just a little bit better. Sister Denise, thank you so much for your time tonight. 
Guys, you've been listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find the Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook and Instagram listed as at the Real Talk 238. As a reminder, the Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.